Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. We are coming off of a series uh, called Forgotten God, where we looked at Francis Chan's book by that title, Forgotten God, uh, and we looked at the uh, tragic neglect of the Holy Spirit. And we said that in Western culture, especially in the Western church, uh, the Holy Spirit has largely been removed from our churches and from our personal faith. And we said that we get the idea of God the Father. That makes sense. We know what a, a father should be. Maybe you are a father. You have a father. We understand uh, what a good father should look like. We understand the concept of God the Son, right? That uh, we know what a son is. You have a son. A son reflects the image of the Father. And then there's this God, the Holy Spirit guy, that we said is largely neglected. We don't understand his role. We don't know what he's all about. And so our faith is largely sustained by human effort. And we really tried to unpack the role of the Holy Spirit. Well, today we start a new series called Forgotten Realm, where we're going to open the door and look into a forgotten realm a supernatural realm, which at least in Western culture has largely been ignored, uh, largely been neglected, and largely been forgotten. In other words, the concept of angels and demons and demonic uh, possession and angelic visitation and spiritual warfare has largely been written off as fairy tales and legends and has been reserved for those of weak intellectu- uh, those who are weak uh, in intellectually and those who are just a little bit crazy right? And we're going to look at uh, opening that door and kind of exploring this idea of a forgotten realm and what does that mean for us? Because if you, if, if you forget the realm, it very well could mean that you're fighting the wrong enemy, the wrong battle on the wrong front. And so we're going to spend some time unpacking this. I'm sure it's going to be interesting. I'm telling you up front, we will touch on some things that you're going to be like, I'm not too sure about that. All right, in the weeks to come, we start talking about demons and things like that. I'll share some personal stories with you, uh, what that looks like. Um, one of our children, who we say is a demon, things like that. I was like, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> so let's, uh, let me just bless the service, Lord. Uh, so prep us and prepare us to hear your truth and um, kind of uh, uncover and unveil the truth that we need to hear. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, as we uh, open your word and challenge us for some of us are in a battle and we're fighting the wrong enemy because we've written off the supernatural realm. And we want to uh, be enlightened and uh, to your truth today. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Be with us as, uh, in our offering as we present ourselves in worship to you, even through our giving, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we cannot begin this topic without talking about this concept of worldview. We'll put it on the screen. A worldview is the perspective from which we see and interpret life. It's a set of beliefs that define how we view and interact with the world around us. Now, whether you know it or not, all of us have a worldview. Now, you may have never consciously thought it through, uh, but you have a set of beliefs that filter your experiences, that interpret 
how that interpret those experiences, how you interact with the world. Now, you may say, look, I don't have a worldview. Uh, I'm just here for the party, right? I'm just, I'm just living hard and going at it. Well, that's your worldview. That's the worldview of uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's your worldview. And that worldview affects how you view life and how you interpret the world around you. Maybe you were raised in church and your worldview was shaped by uh, religious tradition, or perhaps it was shaped by superstition, or maybe it was even shaped by the occult. Perhaps your worldview was um, shaped by something traumatic that happened to you as a child, or uh, it may have been formed by voices of influence on radio, TV, and print. Your worldview may be clearly thought out, or it may be almost totally subconscious. Your worldview may be noble, uh, it may be sensible, it may be whacked out, but you have a worldview that influences how you interpret what you experience. Think of it uh, as a filter or a lens. We'll put it up on the screen there. So you have an experience, whatever that experience would be, and it passes through your worldview filter, which allows you to interpret that experience, which then leaves you with your perception or your perceived reality. Now, depending what your worldview is, completely changes the experience and therefore changes your perceived reality. Let's unpack that a little bit. We're going to look at a passage in Acts 28. It says this, Once safely on shore, we found that the island was called Malta. Now, this is one of Paul's missionary journeys that uh, is being written about. And the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and, as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself to his hand. And the islanders saw that the snake was hanging from his hand and they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, how does your worldview affect your experiences? Well, if you have a superstitious worldview, then you have an experience. It passes through your superstitious uh, ideas and your worldview. You interpret the experience. And for them, it was that Paul was either a murderer and then it was, no, Paul's actually a god. Because your worldview affects your experiences and how you interpret them. Now, here's our challenge. For most who have grown up in the Western world, our worldview regarding the supernatural realm leans towards the cynical. And it leans towards being somewhat skeptical. And so we have a secular worldview, which largely means that we have a set of beliefs that are bound by the limits of life on earth. In other words, science is king. Matter is what matters. If I can't see it, touch it, prove it, it doesn't exist. And this means part of our secular worldview is that there has to be, listen, there has to be a rational explanation for everything that happens. And so whatever your experience is, we pass it through the secular worldview and we interpret the events and there must be a rational explanation for what's happening because that is how we interpret life through that secular worldview. Most of us are taught to interpret life uh, naturally. The term is naturalism. We'll put it on the screen. In philosophy, naturalism is the idea or belief that only uh, natural, as opposed to supernatural or spiritual, laws and forces operate in the world. A system of thought that all phenomena can be explained in terms of natural causes 
and natural laws. And so today with our secular Western scientific worldview, we would interpret the events that we just read through a completely different uh, uh, worldview. And we would say something like this, through a secular science worldview, we would say, well, Paul's immune system was heightened with a state of white blood cells surrounding and engulfing the foreign invaders and capturing the microorganism and producing sufficient flux of antibodies, thus leaving Paul unaffected by the venom. Right? That's how we would explain it. Or we would say the snake was old and didn't have any teeth. Right? We would come up with some... And so if you have a secular or science worldview, and thank God for science, I'm not bashing science, right? The age of reason, the enlightenment, much of our declaration of independence is based upon what we learned during that time. However, part of the downside is on this is the, is the spiritual realm has largely been cast aside. And so if you have a secular worldview, you would look at the experience, you would interpret the experience, and you would say, well, a perceived reality is a heightened immune system, or it was just a really old snake, one, you know, one of... Uh, the two. Uh, in the Western church, we've taken this naturalistic interpretation of life and we've brought it into our Christian experience. And what that means is that uh, uh, the supernatural realm uh, often does not exist and almost everything we believe can be explained or processed through natural laws. Now, if you take a biblical worldview on this, we would simply say, well, there was a snake bite interpretation that God intervened. That is how we would say that is our reality, that that God intervened in this. Western thinking largely has a two-tier approach when it comes to this idea of the spiritual realm. We have the natural uh, uh, world. I don't know why that says natural real. That's a a type. Oh, it should be natural, natural realm. Uh, natural realm where it's science and natural laws and then up here somewhere is the realm of religion that's the realm of God and the realm of miracles but there's nothing in between us well most of the rest of the world says no there's actually a middle realm that we have often excluded listen to what pastor Wade Trimmer says he said the western world has excluded the middle level of the unseen world of angels and demons and it teaches that every effect has a physical cause. If you can't see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, or hear it, it probably doesn't exist. In addition, he says, all phenomena can, can or eventually will be explained or accounted for scientifically, and reality is material and, meta- and mechanical. And if there is a spiritual realm, it has no relation to or impact upon the physical realm. We've kind of excluded this middle where there's God up here, we are down here, uh, governed by our scientific laws, and there's nothing in between. But the rest of the world would say, no, there actually is something in between. Listen to some startling research. Barner Research asked the question, uh, asked this, Satan is not a living being, but rather a symbol of evil. And then asked Christians to say, uh, strongly disagree Uh, disagree, uh, undecided, somewhat agree, or strongly agree. And so they ask the question, Satan is not a living being, but rather he's just a symbol of evil. 40% strongly agreed to that topic, to that question. 40% of Christians said, yeah, there is no personal evil. There is just, there is the idea of evil, but there is no one being behind evil. Another 19% said they somewhat agree with it. That means almost 60% of Christians said, this idea of Satan, this idea of the demonic, does not exist. 
That's scary. Now, this is part of this, uh, the forgotten realm that we're talking about. The modern Western mind says everything has a natural cause and everything has a scientific explanation. Crime, violence, racism, genocide, hate, all stem from natural causes. And what would we say those natural causes are? We would say, well, there, there are psychological factors, there are brain development issues, or there's chemical imbalances that drive people to do evil things. Or we would say there are sociological factors, there's bad parenting or bad social environments that lead people to become people who are evil and do evil things. And whatever it is, we, we believe that we can figure it out and we can fix it because we've evolved. Andrew DeBanco, uh, DeBanco is a professor at Columbia University, He wrote a book called The Death of Satan, How Americans Have Lost the Sense of Evil. Now, he's not even writing this from a Christian perspective, but listen to what he says. In the opening lines of his book, he writes the following. A gulf has opened in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it, meaning we don't have, we're not smart enough to deal with this. He says, we have jettisoned in the West the idea of cosmic evil or transcendent evil or supernatural evil. We don't believe in it. In fact, we don't even like to use the word evil because it implies moral absolutes and value judgments. So we use medical terms. We talk about dysfunction. We talk about pathology. We don't use moral terminology. But as the 20th century has gone on, it has gotten harder and harder to say that the Holocaust and ethnic cleansing and serial killing is just bad psychological and sociological adjustments. And I think he's right. Later he says uh, that what we said years ago, that all evil has natural causes, he says, scientific causes, he says, it is wearing thin. And it is. It's wearing thin. Now we're going to unpack this as the weeks go. Um, But centuries ago, we actually said that hatred and violence uh, comes from a lack of education and a lack of civilization and only uncultured people behave like that. And then World War II came along with the final solution in the death camps that birthed uh, this type of evil that came from possibly one of the most educated and cultured societies on the face of the planet. And so now suddenly we look at it and we say, well, well, well maybe evil comes from, from somewhere else. I think Del Bonco is right. In the West, we cannot account for the depth of evil among us by simply assigning it a label or a sociological cause. There's something else taking place. Now, uh, understand, we have to be very careful with this. I am not saying that everything that happens has a, 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 a demon behind it, but we have excluded that completely and have just written it off. The Bible doesn't have this problem. Scripture is really clear on the source of evil. And Scripture paints a clear picture that there is an unseen realm that is pressing against the creation of God, including you and I. Matter of fact, a theme that underlines Jesus, uh, underlies Jesus' entire ministry is the assumption, listen, that creation has been seized by a cosmic force that is opposing the will of God and challenging the kingdom of God. And all gospel accounts show Jesus battling this unseen realm that has come to lay claim on God's creation. That's what all of the gospels show. We're going to talk about that next week when we begin to unpack this idea of spiritual warfare. But an underlying theme of the entire ministry of Jesus is that creation has been seized by a cosmic force that is opposing the creation and the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus came to do battle against that. Now, you may say, why do you believe in the unseen realm? Well, for one, because Jesus believed in it. And as my Savior, I don't think I'm in a position to question his theology, right? Scripture is really clear on this. And so Christianity, going back to evil and evil actions, would acknowledge that uh, psychological and sociological factors can stir and aggravate the imbalance within the human soul, uh, the self-absorption and the warped tendencies within the human soul. But Christianity would say that, that those factors are not the source of that evil. That there is something else that is acting upon God's creation and pulling it towards evil. There is an excluded middle or a forgotten realm. Listen to what Jesus says on this topic. Jesus refers to Satan as the prince of this age. Now, those are strong words. The word actually is archon, and it's a term used in 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 a secular context to denote the highest official in a city or region. It refers to a preeminent ruler, a commander with authority or influence over people in a particular jurisdiction. So Jesus said, Satan is the prince of this age. He is a ruler of this jurisdiction. That's what Jesus says about it. Now understand, what Jesus is saying is that Satan has authority here in this present fallen world. Matter of fact, he's he's saying that he has the highest authority. Now, we'll unpack that later. But he has the highest authority in terms uh, of personal present influence in this fallen age. And we see it everywhere. Now, God has ultimate authority, but we'll talk about that when we unpack that next week. I'm going to share some things with you that may be very enlightening to you. So, uh, in 1 John, listen to uh, what... John says about this, he says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under what? The control of the evil one. Here's this idea again that there is this realm that is controlling this world that we're living in. I find it interesting that when Satan tempted Jesus in the desert and said, if you worship me, I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world that you'll have authority over all the kingdoms of the world, that Jesus never challenged Satan on his ability to fulfill that promise. Because there is, a, there is the element here, as Jesus says, he is the archon, the prince of this age. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, the God of this age, small g, other translations say, it's the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. This is the spiritual reality that we find ourselves in. Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live and when you follow the ways of the world and of the, listen, ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Matthew 9 refers to Satan as the prince or the ruler of demons. The picture is one of this unified or pervasive army of spiritual powers over which Satan reigns and rules over. And this is the spiritual reality. If you adopt a biblical worldview, this is the spiritual reality that we see in Scripture. One of an unseen realm that is actively opposing the kingdom of God and all that is good in his creation. Now, there's a lot more than I can say, uh, but we're going to unpack some of that next week. So let me kind of challenge you a little bit. If you're here today and you struggle with this idea of personal evil, you know, the devil... Forget about the red suit and the pitchfork and the little pointy tail and the horns. Forget about that, all right? Uh, That's our own conception, and we've done more harm than good through that. 
But if you struggle with the idea of personal devil because it's too simplistic and too naive, let me just challenge that possibly, possibly your thinking is the one that's being naive. Possibly that you are being one-dimensional and that you uh, are are missing out on the multidimensionality and depth of the evil that permeates this creation. If you struggle with the idea of, uh, of the supernatural realm, consider that you may be culturally narrow because the majority of the world, presently and past, have embraced this concept of the forgotten supernatural realm. Outside of post-enlightenment Western intellectual culture, the belief in spirits and the supernatural realm is almost universal. There has always been this idea, this awareness of spirits, both angels and demons, that can influence human affairs for better or for worse, and on some level there is conflict among these spirits which affect human life. Author and pastor Greg Boyd says it like this. We'll put it on the screen. Since most of the world's population throughout history has claimed to see something which certain Western intellectuals are unable to see, perhaps it is the spiritual vision of the secularized Westerners that is faulty, not the perception of the rest of the world. Listen, if you, have this, if you, have, if you struggle with this concept of a personal evil, Satan, if you believe in God... It would seem inconsistent to believe in a good personal being but to deny the existence of an evil personal being. See, if I, if, if I don't believe in Satan, then I have to look at all of creation as it is currently functioning. And if I say there is no opposition to the kingdom of God, then I have to look at creation as it is now and say that creation is functioning as it was created. That presents a problem for me. I then have to say, if there is no Satan, then creation is functioning in the way that God created it. Now I have an issue because I say he's a good God, but I look at creation, and creation just doesn't look that good. And so now we have an issue, and we have a struggle now. And how do you you come to grips with that? War and murder and disease and gene mutations and cancer and famine and earthquakes and genocide. We would have to say all of it is functioning as God designed because there is no personal force of evil upon the world. There has to be a force of evil that is opposing God's creation and God's rule and God's reign. Or the only person to blame is God himself because this is his creation. If things are functioning as he intended it, how, do we, how does this reflect the good and loving character of God that we hold fast to? And so this is our struggle. Much of what we experience in this life is not as God created it. You know that, right? That the archon, the ruler of this world, stands against God's created, creative order and is trying to bring down that which God created, beautiful, and all of creation, including us, now wait for God to make things right and to, and, and to correct what has gone awry. That's our hope for the future. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. Let's take something quickly as we wrap up. Something as simple as death. If Satan does not exist, then we would have to say that even death is part of God's good plan for creation. All of the heartache, the tears, the longing to hear their voice again, the, the, the ache to, to feel their touch, all, all of the, the consequences that come with death. If there is no Satan, we would have to say, well, this is just part of God's good plan for us, and death is what it is. But, but Scripture is really clear that death was not part of God's design. 
that this is not part of, of, of God's ultimate plan for us. Scripture is really clear that Satan is the power behind death. Listen to Hebrews 2. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. It's talking about Jesus putting on flesh and blood coming to us. So that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Now, just kind of as a side note, if, if death is not part of God's design, and if death entered into the world through Satan who introduced sin into the world, why do so many Christians approach death as if it's God who is the one orchestrating it? I've struggled with this. Now, I understand that in a life well-lived and somebody is old, there's a passing and going into eternity with God. I've done that. I've sat with people, numerous people like that. But I've also heard some people say things that leaves a warped view of who God is. Like when a child is taken from a mother because of leukemia or some sickness, and someone says on a a greeting card that they give that says, God needed another angel. And I view that and I think that's a warped view of death. That's saying that God looked around heaven and said, I'm, I'm, I'm a little light here, and took the mother's child. That's not the view of God that I hold to. That's the view of an enemy that is tearing down God's good creation. And we hear things like, um, uh, you know, a tragic accident that goes on, and, and, and well, God's will is mysterious, but he's still on the throne. I mean, I agree it's mysterious and still on the throne, but let's not apply this thing of death to God so quickly. Or nothing happens by accident, or must have not been their time to go, or how many times have you heard someone say he was in a close call and they survived it and said it must have not been my time? I, I, this idea of everyone, if, if we're going to believe that God has an appointed time, not just that God knows when someone's going to die, but God is appointed it to say at this moment this time this is how you will die not just knowing when it's going to happen but appointing it and you have some other theological questions that you need to answer if you're going to hold to that idea that god appoints everyone's death and therefore you come to somebody who lost a child and say it was just their appointed time to go that's heartless not only that then we have to wrestle with one million children under five who were killed in the gas chambers of germany Was it their time to go? And then we have to say God was orchestrating everything that the Nazis did to round up children, to put them in the gas chamber because they had to die at their specific time. That becomes difficult. And so our theology of a good God begins to break down because we've forgotten this middle realm that is afflicting the good creation that God has brought. We're going to talk next week about this idea of why God sometimes doesn't get what he wants. And some of you are like, well, how can that be? Well, we're going to unpack that and what that looks like. It's all part of spirit, the spiritual warfare part that we're going to talk about. But look, God is not the killer. God is not the author of death, right? So a scripture tells us in, in, in John 8, Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you, uh, and you want to carry out the father's desire. And listen to what he says. He was a murderer from the beginning. Now, it's not meaning that Satan actually goes around and kills every person, but because Satan brought sin into the world, death is a result of him. And Jesus says, he's the murderer. He is the one that I've, came, that I, I've come to disarm. If, 
when Jesus comes to uh, disarm the one who holds the power of death, and if we're going to say, well, God is the one who is wielding the power of death right now, then Jesus came to disarm God. That makes no sense. There is a spiritual realm that works against God's creation. And we are trapped in the tension of it. And if we ignore it, you very well may be fighting the wrong battle with the wrong enemy on the wrong front because some of what some of us are going through right now is not natural. It's spiritual. And you're fighting it in all of these different ways except in the way that it needs to be fought. And that is on a spiritual level. If you have a hard time believing in this idea of the supernatural realm, let me just say this, that if the Bible is right, you are in way over your head. Right? John 10.10, Jesus said, look, here's what the thief does. Here's what this whole realm does. It comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. We'll talk about angels uh, as well later. Uh, But this is why this is important, because a misplaced worldview can cause us to fight the wrong enemy and exert all kinds of energy and all kinds of effort and all kinds of, uh, 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 all kinds of effort and, and try this thing and that thing. And in reality, we're fighting the wrong foe. And I'm praying that God would open our eyes, that we would begin to fight in the, in the enemy that is behind the affliction that may be coming against some of us. And I realize we left so much on the table and so many questions You're going to have to come back next week as we continue to unpack this. But stand with me. Holy Spirit, would you rest on us? I specifically want to ask that you would reveal to some here what the source of their affliction, the source of their struggle is. And I do not want us to be looking for demons behind every bush. I don't want us to over-exaggerate the spiritual realm, but I also don't want us to ignore it. And so for some of us here, we we need the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and to just kind of speak to each individual here. Maybe show them how they need to begin to approach this battle that they're in. Show them what that looks like. The people that they can gather around them that will stand with them and fight with them. There are some here, just keep your eyes closed. Your marriage is under attack. And you've just assumed that it was your spouse who's bugging you. And there is an enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and to destroy, to take your marriage and to rob a family structure from your children. And you've been fighting that battle on the wrong front. Yeah, you need to continue to go through counseling, but you need to get some spiritual muscle behind you in this. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us, reveal to us, uncover truth to us. Give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear.
In Jesus' name, amen. I hope to see you next week. Uh, we're going to get into some, uh, I, I think it's extremely interesting stuff, uh, enlightening. So I hope to see you back next week. Invite someone. Uh, hey, if you can, make the jump to second service. Uh, we're filling up first service pretty bad. So if you can, jump over to second and help us balance out, especially in our kids' ministry. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, come on up. We'll have somebody pray for you. Don't be shy about that.